Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Little Feminist. Little Feminist is running a campaign to launch a board book set, We Are Little Feminists, featuring photos of real families with poems to build vocabulary and family connection. We Are Little Feminists celebrates diversity in all forms through everyday topics, hair, family, and movement. Why photo books? Toddlers love photos of everyday kids, but most children's books don't represent our diverse world. And since the founders of Little Feminist know a ton about children's books, they decided to write what they know is missing. The project ends November 4th, and I'm a proud backer. Consider joining me at the sponsor link in the show notes and help raise good humans one children's book at a time. He was the great uh, unifier. <laughs> yeah, he's a, con- a connector. But did you know Emily Hughes when we connected? No, I hadn't. I guess. Third time. Oh my gosh, you're right. It's the third time. That's crazy. Me and Laurel, <laughs> we go way back. <laughs> we do go way back. It's true. Matthew lives down the street from my mom. That's true. I do. I've never met your mom, but I'm told I live down the street from her. I love my mom very much, but I don't tend to blend her into my professional life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laurel's been to my house before. That's fun. It's, that's and true. Her kids have semi-watched my kids while we had adult <laughs> conversations. Um, it's true. Yeah. So, welcome both. How does one accomplish a multiplicity of interpretation in a picture book? That's probably easier asked than answered. But this book leaves a whole lot to ask and is just about the greatest to hear a kid answer. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 544. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking to Laurel Snyder and Chuck Groening, the author and the illustrator of Hungry Jim. In this new picture book, a boy awakens to realize that he is a lion and that he is hungry. Moreover, his appetite seems insatiable, and his urges irresistible. If you detect a hint of Sendak, you won't be wrong. But this is the kind of story where Sendak, and childhood, and relationships, and all of the little bits that make up you were all swallowed up. And the story that's been churning inside feels a bit subversive, and yet totally relatable. You're going to like this one. Please welcome my guests, Laurel Snyder and Chuck Grinink, the author 
and the illustrator of Hungry Jim. My name is Laurel Snyder, and uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I write books for children, uh, but my background's in poetry, and so I feel like that infuses everything I do. I write a lot of picture books, um, most recently Hungry Jim, and my most recent middle grade novel is My Jasper June, and I also do a series called Charlie and Mouse for uh, early readers. Uh, my name is Chuck Groening, or Groening, if you're in America. Uh, my pronouns are he and his, and I illustrate books for children, uh, mainly picture books, but I've done some covers for middle grade stuff, and I, I don't know why I said mainly picture books, because it's basically all picture books. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, it's, I, I illustrate mainly for picture books and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I, I illustrate for children and the likes. There yeah. you go. Well, I'm so glad you both got together to make a picture book. I know that it wasn't that direct, but you sure made a beautiful one together. Uh, and I am very excited because I know we're going to talk an awful lot about Maurice Sendak during our mm. conversation. And that makes me... Very, very happy. So, um, Laurel, I'm going to have to start with you on this one because um, I don't know how to talk about Hungry Jim without giving away the entire book. But I hope that <laughs> you've had a little bit of, of practice maybe sharing it with friends and family and children. So could you sort of give your book talk of Hungry sure. Jim? Um, and I've had a hard time with this too. Uh, though I feel like the experience of reading the book is the payoff. So the, the sort of the reveal isn't, I often, when I share it with people, I often will just read the first few pages and kind of tease them. But it's a book about a boy who wakes up one morning um, and his tail has fallen asleep. And this is odd because he's never had a tail before. And he discovers that he has become a beast. He has become a lion. And um, he has the instincts of a lion. And and one of those instincts is that uh, his mother is making pancakes down, downstairs. And uh, rather than the pancakes smelling delicious to him, she smells delicious to him. And from that point on, it's really a book about him wrestling with these instincts that he has, these urges that he has, and um, and and how he navigates that and how he resolves that. Uh, so so I the originally, the very, very, very first draft of it uh, was Hungry Jim, a book about choices. And I realized as time went by that it wasn't a book about choices. It was a book about urges, which is not the same thing. No, I, I feel like, you know, Jim gets upset at his stomach at many points and even yells for his stomach to shut up. Yeah. And hush up. And my son, by the way, I know you know my son. He thought it was the funniest thing. Hush up. Like, I'd never said that to him before. And I thought, child, I say that to you all the time. That's um, so funny. But I, like, I feel like it's a word we use because we don't want to use another word. Right. <laughs> but um, I, I, what I adore about this book, and I think this goes back to Sendak, of course, is that it just feels absurd, but in a believable way it's a it's a it's an absurdity that is carried out faithfully and loyally throughout the entire story and it is the truth of the book mm -hmm. thank you i really appreciate that i also really love and chuck i'm gonna jump all the way around this book 
and not knowing where you come in, not knowing what the manuscript looked like when you got it. But one of my favorite moments is, um, is, uh, mm, without revealing the end, um, as we are working our way toward the end of the story, uh, the line reads, I won't give away the illustration, but the line that you give, Laurel, reads, after a moment of deliberation, Jim pounced back into the kitchen. It was a huge relief to find things, mostly as he'd left them. And I thought, you exist in this world, Jim. This is really funny that the, um, returning to the space where you ate your mom, the first instinct or the first urge is, is eating mom, um, that you return to that space and the way we view that scene, uh, Jim's perspective is it's mostly the way I left it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Chuck, I, I would love to ask you, um, well, I'd love to just ask you, I think, about coming on to this project, about your your first reactions to this manuscript in the form that that you received it in. I know, Laurel, that it went through drafts, but um, when you came on to it, um, Chuck, what was that reaction like for you? Um, I think my initial reaction was basically, like, this is everything I wanted to illustrate, like, as... You know, when as an illustrator, you are somewhat dependent on like whatever you happens to come across your way, and sometimes you just like get something and you feel like this is it. This is why I wanted to illustrate children's books, and like that for me, that was Hungry Jim. And I think part of that is like the clear Sandakian influence to or or atmosphere or whatever because for me Sendak was one of the reasons biggest reasons to go into children's books I found that seeing your art your illustration on Laurel's words after knowing your work for many many books I think the first time I, I became aware of your name was there was that hero book you did for Chronicle Hmm. Hero, I remember that one, and you also did um, Kat Ye's picture book. That was a number of years ago, though. The Friendship, mm-hmm. and those works. I I know your art. I know your voice in that way, but seeing your work and your style paired with Laurel's words feels. I, I can really um, read clearly the Sendakian influences. Um, it it feels like you both really tapped into to a, a, a spirit of of storytelling that that would have been something learned from him. I I think um it's funny, this is more than anything else I've ever done, this is a book that when I got the finished product, it had my, I felt like my text had been transformed almost so much that I didn't recognize it. Like I read it and then I had to go back and read it again because I felt like there were layers to it that I had not, either I had not done on my own or if I did them, I wasn't aware of them when I was doing them, that there were sort of subtexts and layers to the, you know, you don't want to call it a message, but that there were subtexts to the message that were nuanced and, and, and sort of complicated in ways that I hadn't realized they were. 
Um, and it was, I've never had this feeling before where sort of I set the book down after I'd read it a couple of times with the art and felt really, really proud um, of what I had done in, in a way that, that it had, I mean, it really felt like it had the complexity of poetry in a really true way. It doesn't feel like a poem, but, but it has that sort of, on a different day, I might read it differently. Mm. Um, I really appreciated it. And, and Chuck, thank you so much. Like, it, it really did feel special. I mean, like I've read, like you read a lot. You read a lot of books uh, when you're an illustrator, and this is this one felt different too. Like it was, like, but I think like there are ways to illustrate it that maybe, like like you said, there there's sort of multiplicity of interpretation possible, and like another illustrator might have made it a lot more deadpan because there's yeah. like that dry humor in it. And, and that I think that's it. It's so important to me. I don't think of myself as a witty, dry writer. I think of myself as somebody who sort of tries really hard to write from the heart and to get at sort of that like more sort of true nature of childhood. Um, and and I felt like that was all there. That 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 if I had to explain to somebody what Jim is feeling in this book, I couldn't possibly do it in a few words. Like the range of things that you have him feeling and expressing as he's going through this are as complex as human emotion is when we are wrestling with our sort of ourself. Um, and, uh, and there's real pathos there. There's real emotion there, even though it's funny and even though it's absurdist and even though it's gruesome, there's, there's real struggle, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it's like Jim for most of the book is in agony Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and deeply confused and like so there's like you you could make the book you can the text make like the dialogue makes it funny there's all sorts of ways to like make that make this like an enjoyable ride even while still being serious about how he feels yeah yeah i found the 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 way that the storytelling flows as a reader too felt that that I as a reader was experiencing the text separate from the story as if someone was telling me a story and I was watching it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and that was mm -hmm. really interesting to me because the text and the art are working hand in hand but they're sort of doing a different dance than what I'm accustomed to when I read right um and, and that makes, but that makes so much sense in the sense of like when we are struggling with something, when when our emotions or our appetites, when our experiences are more than we can handle, words fail, right? Like that, that's that's exactly what happens. Is like when a kid is having a temper tantrum, you can describe the temper tantrum, and their parents might humorously describe the temper tantrum later to a friend, but what that kid is feeling in that moment is a totally different thing. And, uh, and, and I really did, it felt like there was like a contrast, like a conflict between the words and the art um, that, that, that sort of replicates that a little bit. I think that that also then works too as we, the reader, are onlookers. When we see individuals struggling, knowing that, you know, you might be telling yourself, I don't know why I'm, I, I can't get over this thing that I'm so frustrated about, but I just can't. And telling yourself, stop it, just get over it. Just be happy or just be mm-hmm, content. Mm-hmm. Someone looking on, 
I mean, I think of, we were talking off recording about <laughs> that my son, after so many repeated reads, um, pointed out today um, on on uh, on a page where now Jim is outside and he's uh, walking in a town and he encounters a, a dog and a dog walker that he, he promptly eats. Um, but the illustration shows that by having a leash out of his mouth and a shoe in the air and, and this bag of dog poop flying um, through the air. But as we see his face in 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 what to me reads as uh like look what i just did almost like there's a pride there the text <laughs> deceives it because the text reads this is awful cried jim as he ran it's big it's bad it's truly the worst jim's stomach only growled louder shut up jim told it nobody asked you and that conflict of mm-hmm. how much of, of us are we in control of and how yep. much of us do we sort of need to just ride the wave? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There are parts where in the book where Jim is basically a, just a passenger. A passenger. Thank yeah. you. That's great language to put that. That is great. Laurel. No, you... and that's. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I, I. You know, I have kids who are in middle school right now, and it's funny. I've read this book now just a few times because I've been doing school visits, and I've been reading it to the older like that. So much of the experience of those upper school years is this emotion. <laughs> like, you know, there's the temper tantrum, four-year-old version of this emotion, and then there's the, like, my body and my heart and my mind are not following the same patterns right now and I like I'm out like there's those early teen years of feeling like like you are a passenger and you don't even know what you're a passenger on you know you don't even know what you're how you're being affected like what you're riding right like where where it's taking you 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 really are just like there's a leap of faith there and and it's hard and that feels terrible which I think is is one of the reasons why I valued the way you ended the story because you you give the moment of of I don't know that the word is autonomy, but it feels like control again. Oh, I know what to do in this instant, and you give Jim that moment of 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 decision that he he's in control and knows exactly how to move forward. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. And I think that's, I mean, that that's what I mean by the layers that I didn't know were there until after the art came in, that the... Like one thing I learned by reading the book after Chuck had illustrated it was he only knows what to do at the end because he's been through this terrible journey, right? Like if the, if, if he had woken up 
and been confronted by the ending at the beginning, his response would have been totally different. It's it's this terrible journey, this this struggle that he's been through that has made him ready to handle the end scene. So when you wrote this, Laurel, now the the way I'm hearing you talk feels as if art notes were limited if they were there at all. But to get to the place where you are, where you and your editor um, are stepping away from it and, and finding that illustrator, and in this case, Chuck entering into this story, um, what what was it like for you to get to that place in this book? Because you mentioned that initially uh, it, it was focused on instinct, or at least the subtitle was focused on instinct. The very first draft of this book was actually a choose your own adventure. I wanted it to be something that put the the reader in control, where you could make choices to listen to the instinct or to override the instinct, right? Um, and it was an interesting exercise. But what my editor said when I handed it to her was basically, this story is too sort of that the gimmick of that was going to get in the way of the emotional life of the story. And I think she was exactly right, that it would have been a dry, deadpan, witty, funny book, but it wouldn't have had, that if Jim isn't a real character experiencing, a specific, if we can't control that journey that he's on, we lose the stakes change um, just because of the structure of the book. And so we took out that, that, that choose your own adventure structure and, and made it a straight picture book um, and I feel like now, if I remember back, I'd have to go look at the notes, but I feel like we really struggled with the ending. I feel like we really struggled with, there was sort of a, an on, like the, like a switch. There was like a yes, no switch or an on off switch of like how the ending should play out. And we ended up with something that felt like it, it felt right, but it felt like it sort of split the difference. It felt like the ending had to give, had to give credit to both the beast and the boy. Mm, you wrap up so and and, and so feel fast. and yeah and yeah. and but to give it the, the, the like it had to be it, he had there had to be growth there had to be discovery but also an acknowledgement that this is all still there in a sort of roiling. Mm. I think that it it gives a beautiful um, sort of symmetry to the front of the story, which. Again, speaking about that notion of being a passenger or, or going through those things internally, um, I think that that leaves us in the most logical place, which is that when we go through these things, we realize we're still here. We just have clarity that sometimes even the wrestling doesn't <laughs> doesn't change us. It just gives right. us uh, clarity. I, you read that <laughs> your line goes, Jim was faced with a dilemma. Jim solved it. He didn't feel even a little bit bad about it. He only felt hungry for pancakes. And that's like snip snap. <laughs> the book is done. It's wonderful in that way that it just lands. But I know that there's a lot of work to get there. <laughs> and I also am, am hearing from you. There's a lot of of other people seeing the story and listening to the story to get there. And that's that's you, Chuck. Before I, I ask you, though, Chuck, I want to ask Laurel, did this feel like Sendak to you from the start? You both have this lovely, 
lovely note at the end that uh, if you have in front of you, I'd love for you to read it. But I, I wonder if, if the story always felt like that to you. Uh, no. I, I mean, I knew that it was there. And it's funny, um, the very first picture book I almost published uh, was called The Wily Corn Bears many, many, many years ago. And it almost got published. And then the last minute was rejected after it had been in committee. And um, years later, I went back and looked at the manuscript and was so relieved that it didn't get published because it was so clearly ripped off of some deck. It was sort of a, it was like half, it was like half uh, outside over there and half where the wild things are that I had just really stolen. And I did, I was sort of, I was new enough to writing for children that I just didn't realize how deeply embedded so many of these texts are in us. Um, and I wasn't watching for it. Uh, so this was sort of the same kind of a feeling. I wrote this and, um, and I knew, I mean, I knew that there was some Sendek in it, but, but I didn't realize how much that was there until I saw the art and I went, Oh, Oh, okay. I love that. There's, there's where the wild things are in it, but there's Pierre in it. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of different Sendek in it. Yeah. Do you have the, 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 I do. I feel like I'm talking too much, but I but I will read it. Yeah. It says Chuck and Laurel humbly dedicate this book to the memory of the unrivaled Maury Sendak, who is alive inside all of us and occasionally peeks out in a book like this one. We ate him up. We loved him so. Chuck, how did you temper your art then to make sure that you know, influence is there, but it's it's also your own voice. Is that just something you need to be aware of? Check yourself? Trust yourself? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to ask this. Well, it's interesting because I when since the book has come out or in, in this sort of rollout period, there, like I've been thinking about it and talking about it more, and that like I've noticed ways that there are, that he's influenced that he's influenced me without really being conscious of it yes. like there that spread where he he's left the village and he's running into the woods and the way like the whole way I stage those that those woods are so clearly where the wild things are for foresty set trees like with just that kind of like that stage quality that he always gave it. And like, that's something I just, that's just so deeply within me that I just drew it without thinking about it. Yeah. I think the, like the, the clearest, like most conscious echoing of Sendak that I put in the book was um, the lion from, was it? I just have to grab the book now to see. A Hector Protector. That's it. Oh, interesting. Because I think he has this like really like squarely built line in that that I think it was instantly on my mind when I read the book or when I. I- and you know what's funny is, so the original, original, original impetus for this book, like the the original f- 
thing that made me want to make this story that those first lines sort of sprang out of actually aren't a Sendak picture book, but they are Sendak. And it's, there's this image. If you go and Google it, you'll find it. Um, it's hard to dig it up though. Uh, there's an image that Lisa Brown, I think it was Lisa Brown had showed me. Um, that's a, that's a picture of a woman nursing a baby. Mm. And then the baby opens his mouth wider and he eats his, he like swallows her whole. And as a mom who had spent much of, you know, the previous decade doing just that, like it was, the metaphor was so strong to me of like children consuming their mothers. So in the original, original, original version, um, I was really coming at it and thinking about it in terms of like a mother, you know, that like she's, she's consumed not just like physically, but in the sense that like she's up early making pancakes, like her life has been gobbled by this boy. Right. Um, and, and so like, that was actually the beginning place. All of that got erased, like whatever, whatever remnants centered the mother, like they're not, they're not in, in the picture as it stands now. But it's so interesting to me that like, I started with the Sendak idea and this book that grew out of it is so Sendak-y but not in any of the ways that I had originally conceived it. It's just like deep. It's in the bones of this story. See, I love the way that this book feels to me speaking to you. Like you, you both were Jim devouring up Sendak and then realizing like, wait, wait, wait. Now I, now I'm, I need to temper this to make sure it's just the right amount, just the right, just the right bit to devour uh, and still be you. Yeah, yeah. it's a it, it's a tricky thing. I'm sorry, Chuck. Did you want to say something? No, I just have this picture now of me sitting at my table and just slowly turning into a crotchety old Maurice Sendak. <laughs> <laughs> but squad goals. It's just it's it's a challenging thing in general. If you're somebody who's really really indebted to the books that you grew up in, which I, I mean, I think most of us were just so much of our sense of language and, and art. I, I mean, I throw around imaginary numbers often where I'm like, I think 80% of the art and poetry people consume, you know, is consumed through picture books, you know, in a lifetime or whatever. Like so much of this is in us. Um, it can be really hard then when you start to make picture books to, to or just to write for children to resist that impulse and I've had it happen several times where I've caught myself at the last minute before some, a book was published and realized like with my very first novel that I had stolen some lines from Stuart Little you know <laughs> that, that I didn't mean to they're just I read that book so many times and it's in my head in a really deep way that you really have to work to make sure that you're not being derivative that you're you're paying tribute and you're being influenced but that you're not copying um, and that, that it's really, it's funny whenever I talk with students about this, it's sort of, it's, you, you know, when you're breaking it, you know, you know, you just have to trust your gut that you're following, you know, good instincts. Um, but, but at the same time, it would be absurd to imagine that we're not being influenced. That we're in those not being ways. influenced. Of course not. Yeah. And that's sort of the beautiful thing, isn't it? The way that we're influenced, the way that they imprint on us, and then we're able to find our voice and express it in that way I think it's beautiful I think when you come out with something like this this is a beautiful book Chuck I I, I keep as I'm flipping through this book I, I'm reminded how much one that I love 
the composition where Jim has sort of reached his wits end and is is on the cliff watching the raging yeah. water. It's the most striking composition. But I remember too the the way you play with lighting in this book and just how well lit other parts of that book are that his it it brings my attention to 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 the fact that the whole weight of the world all of all of Jim's world is just darkening and closing in and raging and and isn't that just the way it is. I mean, I realize in this conversation that all of your book is serving that that struggle that we're talking about. But um, I'm realizing that there's there's sort of bits of self subconscious detail that I've internalized reading this that that continues to affect me. And I think that for that, the level of thought both you and Laurel brought to this, and the level of 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 editing and and restraint has really created tension here that that allows the book to be read 12 times and still enjoy and love and and, and look forward to and moments of discovery uh, both profound and you know poop in a bag <laughs> it's good stuff can you please make nine more books together i would love that nine would be I great love that better <laughs> although i do hope that i We'll be able to figure the next one out quicker than I was able to crack this one. Chuck, I have to throw a, a sort of unexpected bit of props to you. Um, and, and, and it comes in the form of the way that when you draw, specifically when you draw Jim in this book, you're giving us a lot of variation in, in sort of the, the closeness of the camera to Jim. There are times when Jim nearly fills the entire page and there are times when oh i should pause because chuck was <laughs> left the conversation laurel oh no oh. my chuck phone died <laughs> are you okay i'm okay we're in and we're good i'm gonna say yes. the thing i was saying to you when and then i said uh-oh chuck's <laughs> chuck's left the conversation i'm marking time though <laughs> yeah, first no, i think the Skype um, drained my phone battery really, right really quick. Yeah. yeah. Let me say that um, there are times when you have the camera really close to Jim and he fills up the whole frame. And sometimes his whole body is, is you know, only partially in the frame because his whole body is so close up that it's filling it up. And other times where you really draw us back, like that gorgeous image at the cliffside. But my third and fourth graders have taken to doing book face where you pose the book uh, over overlapping your body so that you in effect become the character. And it strikes me as I'm reading this book and they were asking, I tend to read the books aloud to my students right before I have interviews with guests because it's, it's fun to have their reactions fresh in my mind. But it, it strikes me that I should tell you that, <laughs> for just the right kids too they they quite like seeing themselves as huh. the characters in your book <laughs> that's wonderful it's funny yeah. to think that i'll have to share some um some photos we've captured <laughs> with their bodies and your i would love to see that art. that's adorable but um yeah but but that 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 level of detail too of of giving us variation in 
in in the way you portray Jim and the close up and the far back and just the space you give. I I just really um it's really quite a beautiful book. I don't really know what else to say other than like Laurel, this is this is your work that I've connected I think most deeply with. And that to me is wild because I feel like I've read your work so long that I feel like I really know you in a special way because of the way that I know your work. And yet I could say this book just felt so utterly different and yeah. um just beautiful. So I was it really is a joy and a treat to hear you Laurel say that you were reading over it and even had to sort of <laughs> check Wait, did I? Well, was this that's me? <laughs> the, I mean, you know, it's not to not to push the metaphor too hard, but I think that's the beauty of art is we grow through it, and 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 so, I mean, if you're really lucky, you you periodically make something that stretches you and changes you, so that you can then enter it as a reader. You sort of step back and then you look at it and you say, "Oh my gosh, did I write that?" Um, that I, and I don't know, you know, sort of the things that come next, we'll see that, you know, I have books coming out next year that are, you know, not like this, but that, that you're, you're, at the end of the day, you only find those things if you, if you allow yourself to explore the full range of your emotions, if you allow yourself to explore the full range of your, you know, sort of your, like, ideas and, and experiences and I think so much of the way we raise children is about restraining them um, and and I think there's a lot of reasons why we have to do that just for their safety and and to sort of help them become functional adults in the world someday but um, but there's just something really wonderful about about what happens when you allow yourself to let loose a little bit you know to to let go a little bit um, and in you know it's painful it's hard this book was hard uh, yeah. But that—that's what growth. It really was. This was a really difficult book. Um, well, and like it took me a long time to 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 draw it because I think I started over three times. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be like you drew. You wrote something that really pushed me to like get at the at the core of it. Like I think. There's a funny thing that happens when you send a book to it. I don't know if it's the same with art, but for me, where I send something to my editor, and what you really want is for them to say, it's great the way it is. Like, you want to just be done. You want the relief of being finished. And and when they come back and they say, like, no, 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 it needs this, it needs that, push it harder, change it completely, turn it upside down, you know, tear it apart, you're so tired and frustrated and you just want it to be over. But those are always the places where the book becomes something new, where the book explores something you haven't done before or challenges you. It's it's a funny experience. I mean, not unlike Jim, it's a funny experience that the very moments when we're growing the most are painful, you know? Well, and for me, it was like when I eventually like found the right way to do it, it was by simply by drawing all the way that was just that felt the most natural to myself huh. to me because right. <laughs> as an illustrator I think I'm like I'm almost very aware of how of like who has been on my mind or who what I've been looking at and what has and what's coming out of my pencils and when I started sketching this I was very, 
it wasn't that long after having been to Sweden for a vacation. So I think I had this Swedish illustrator who, who illustrated a lot of Astrid Lindgren books mm. on my mind mm. a lot. And like I was very, so the, the whole time I was very conscious of other people and it just couldn't make it work. And at one point, and then I, at one point I was like, this, I need to draw much more like I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like went a completely different way and that didn't work either. And I was very frustrated because I just, I, I just couldn't find the look that needed to be there for this book. And eventually I said, like, maybe I should stop thinking about that yeah. and just draw how I like to draw without thinking too much about like, oh, I ha maybe it should look like this or it would be cute like that. And that's eventually how it came out. And but that's like, fascinating. I, I mean, it, it makes the whole book into an Ars Poetica. Like it makes the whole book into a book about the creative process, which I hadn't <laughs> again until this moment. I had not thought about it that way. But that's totally also true, right? That there's the learned, trained restraint of craft, and then there's that urge, that that instinct you have to make work. And and in the most natural way, and you those two things are wrestling inside us all the time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, come on, this is picture books, people. Yeah. It's amazing. It's profound, and we we put these things in front of children. Yep. And imagine what they see. I mean, they they'll see things, and they do that that we've never even thought that we yep. never intended. But we're there. We're there all along. They see us. Listen, it's been it's been amazing. Thank you so much for yeah. both uh what you brought to this book and also what you shared here. Um I think that um this is a book that is going to be continuing to work in me as I continue to read it aloud and revisit it. But why I laugh is because I think I've realized that it's going to be continuing to work in you. It hasn't finished its work. With no. You yet. It, yeah. I'm still figuring things out. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, I, I appreciate hearing the way you wrestled with the story and, and brought it to us in this form the way you did. Thank you both for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a chance to talk about it. Cause I do, I feel like the yeah. more I talk about it, the more I think about it out loud, the, the more it grows for me still. So, and it, it's, it's, it's that, I think, I mean, maybe, maybe that brings us back to Sendak in a great way that it's the, the fact that when you can't stop thinking about something, it just becomes entwined in your soul. Mm -hmm. And so this book, um, I'm grateful for me. I can't speak for other readers, but for me, I'm grateful that, that I can see, um, those those vines wrapping their way around me and around my brain. I like that a lot. Um, on that note, let's go to our readers. Laurel, I will see, as you know, a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? Yeah, I, I, um, I think, I think the most important thing for me in in this book and in kids in general is that we all have a natural, a most natural self. We all have 
like a, a, a spark of something that is completely distinct from everybody else. Um, and often that gets repressed and restrained. And I think that kids are strongest and most creative and most interesting when they explore those quirky, unusual, distinct selves. Um, and I would just encourage them, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta make your bed. You gotta put your hand in the air if you want to talk in class, but, but as much as possible to sort of hold on to the parts of themselves that, that, that sometimes get them into trouble. <laughs> Chuck, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Gosh, I mean, Laurel just said something so beautiful and, I feel like I'm going to have to <laughs> come up with something, but I'd say like kind of like what she said, but also just like kid, kid, be curious about the, about whatever fascinates you. Like yeah, things. I think like like the I, like as a kid, you can like, get so into like your interests, and I think that's all, which is a good thing. I think like. You should, you should just always, like, especially a kid in a library, you should just be going for whatever cure fascinates you. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast our theme music is by Poddington Bear care of the free music archive all views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced want to help out the show writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest. 
creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.